Good morning. When you walked in, you got a bulletin, and in that bulletin is a, a handout. I don't know if all of you guys are note takers like me, uh, obsessively. Um, but if you pull that out, at the top of that note sheet is a statement that I want your help filling in this morning. And the statement is, my name is blank and I'm blank. I want you to think about uh, the last time you were at a party or a barbecue or a social event with people that you didn't know. I want you to think about how you introduced yourself. Hi, my name is blank and I'm blank. Don't overthink this. Go with your kind of gut reaction. When you introduce yourself and you say, hi, my name is blank and I'm a, or I'm, what's the first thing you introduce yourself using? Really, that, that question is a question about how we define ourselves. I'll tell you that when I'm, when I'm playing golf with people that I don't know, the last thing that I say is, hi, my name is Scott, I'm a pastor. Because it just changes the whole conversation for the next four hours. Um, so I tend to kind of bury that lead. I'm like, I'm a prosecutor's husband, you know, or, you know, I'm a dad of twins, or I write some stuff, or I like the Cardinals. I, I just, I kind of save that for the back nine. Um, but a lot of us, we define ourselves by our job. So many times people introduce us, hi, I'm Scott, hi, I'm Bill. Hey, what do you do? Our jobs are these things that we define ourselves with. For many of us, it's a relationship. We define ourselves by the person that we're dating or engaged or married to. We define ourselves even by our kids. I'm Sarah's dad or I'm Michael's mom. Some of us define ourselves by our past successes. We had this achievement back in the past and it's kind of just carried with us. Yeah, that's Brian. He was that guy who threw that game-winning touchdown in high school. It's been 20 years since he did that, but we're still talking about it. We define ourselves by our skills. Yeah, she's really awesome at that, or he's really good at that. For me, I define myself by one thing, and, and it's my laugh. It's loud. Um, it borders on cackling sometimes. I've been in a movie theater before, and I'm in the front row, and I get a text Somebody goes, hey, are you in theater seven right now <laughs> watching Wonder Woman? And I'm like, why? They go, I can hear you laughing in the back, you know? And uh, I, was at, I was celebrating my birthday a few weeks ago, and I was in a restaurant, and they had a back room, and I was in Phoenix where I used to live, and uh, this, all of a sudden this head poked in the door. And it was like, hey, I know you. And it was one of my former students. And I'm like, what are you doing here? He goes, I work here. And I go, okay. He goes, and I heard your laugh, and I knew somewhere you were inside my restaurant, you know, and I had to find you. And so... My laugh is just one of the things that I love about myself. I define myself as, hi, I'm Scott. I'm a loud laugher. And the thing about our, the ways that we define ourselves is that those are great until they're taken away. So many of us define ourselves by things that can change like that. And then who are we anymore? And this morning, as we continue this series, Jesus Plus Nothing, we're going to talk about how we define ourselves. Because the Apostle Paul is speaking to this community in Galatia because they're struggling to define themselves in a way that Paul finds incredibly problematic, even dangerous. And so this morning, he's going to talk about who they are. And this morning, got one simple idea that's at the heart of this message, and I hope this is the idea you go home thinking about today, that our identity in Christ is received, not achieved. Our identity in Christ is received, not achieved. 
All throughout this series, we've been talking about the things that we tend to add to the work of Jesus. And we started out with this idea that Jesus plus nothing is the essence of our faith. And so we've put things in this blank over here. We put things over here like the law, wisdom. Today, we're filling that blank with achievement. We're talking about how for so many of us, we seek to achieve our identity in the world through our accomplishments and through success. And this morning in Galatians chapter 3, we're going to learn about Paul as he talks about the the difficulties of this. So if you have a Bible, if you'd open it up or turn it on and turn there or scroll there, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians is near the back of the Bible. It's between the book of 2 Corinthians and the book of Ephesians. And this summer, each week, we're walking our way through this book. And today, Paul is going to be talking to us about this idea of achievement. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. And in this passage, we're going to learn what I call four identity lessons. And the first one is this. Paul says in verse 1, O foolish Galatians, he says, who has bewitched you? Which for some of you will remind you of a TV show that you haven't seen in a long time. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The first lesson that Paul wants to teach us about achievement is that all of us can be deceived. All of us can be deceived. Cross out the word any, and I want you to put the word all in there because it's a little bit stronger. All of us can be deceived. See, what Paul is saying is that these, these Galatians are foolish he says, who has bewitched you? He says that you've, you've become confused. Some people have come along and they've tricked you. And, and he uses this idea of bewitching that, that Greeks would know. There was this idea in the ancient world that there were people who practiced sorcery and dealt with spirits that could, that could hypnotize and bewitch people. And so he says, it's like someone has put a spell on you. Someone has taken advantage of you so that you can no longer see things clearly. He says, it isn't just that you guys have gotten confused. You're under somebody's spell. We heard this sentiment a few weeks ago when we began this series in Galatians 1. Paul said, I am so astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you into the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He says, you heard about Jesus. You heard how he was crucified for you. You heard that he did things on your behalf that you couldn't do for yourself. But now you're turning to a different gospel and people have bewitched you. And what's interesting that Paul says is he says, I told you in public about who Jesus was. If you still have your scriptures open, he says in verse one, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now they didn't watch him be crucified because they live in Galatia and Jesus was killed in Jerusalem. But Paul described to them in public all of the details of the crucifixion of Jesus. He didn't trick them. No, they responded to his public proclamation. But there are some other people who are tricking them, who are bewitching them, who are seeking to confuse them. And so he says, there's a stark difference here. And he says, all of you are vulnerable to this. All of you are in danger of being deceived. Many of us know people who started going a good direction with their lives, who started in the truth, and along the way, they started drifting. They started getting confused. They started compromising. 
And many of us struggle with believing that we're above that. We discussed last week this idea that we're all vulnerable, that none of us are above this. Well, I was thinking about that, and if I said, well, what what is the first step in compromising? I think the first step in compromising is arrogance. Arrogance is the first step in compromising the gospel. Because when you believe that you are above compromise, you're beginning the turn. You're beginning the process. Every time in my life I've compromised and then been humbled as a result, it started with arrogance. It started with me believing I was invulnerable to that, that I was above that. And all throughout the scriptures, writers are reminding us of the danger of arrogance and pride. In another passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you think that you're standing firmly and I've got this and I can handle this, be careful because you could fall and and not even know it. In the Old Testament, the writer of the Proverbs said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. See, all of the scriptures were reminded that when we become arrogant and believe that we're above something or that we've achieved something, we are in danger of compromise. We are in danger of being deceived. And this is personal for me because I wrestle with this. I'm a firstborn. I'm driven. I'm an achiever by nature. I'm competitive. I like to win. When even the teams that I cheer for lose, I get devastated. A couple years ago, the Cardinals lost Right before the Super Bowl, my wife said the next day, I think we need to get you into a a program because you are way too disappointed and depressed over a game that you didn't even play in, you know? I said, I know, I'm sorry, I'm just really competitive and I like those guys, you know? And, And so the temptation is to become arrogant in believing that we can achieve something. That idea is great if you're an entrepreneur. It's great if you run your own business. But it's a toxic idea when you import it into your relationship with God. Because you didn't achieve any of this. If you could have achieved it, then why did he have to come and die for you? And so all of us can be deceived into thinking that we can achieve something and that we're above compromise. Paul continues in verse 2. He says, let me ask you this. Let me ask you only this. Now, I think Paul was intending to ask one question And he ends up asking a lot more. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law? or by hearing with faith, the second identity lesson we learn is that we receive our new identity through faith. We receive our new identity through faith. Our identity is received. It's not achieved. And we receive it through faith. And Paul says he's going to ask only one question. And really, the All the questions come back to one core question, but I want to walk through these questions with you this morning. And the first question he asked is, he said, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive it because you were a good person? Did you receive it because you did a lot of good deeds? Did you receive it because you had perfect church attendance? Did you receive it because you never did anything wrong? Never broke any of the commandments? 
He said, no, you received it as a gift. This morning, I want you to think about a question. And that question is, where were you when God found you? Where were you when you first heard about Jesus? For some of you, you were drunk, promiscuous, searching for love and joy and fulfillment and meaning in all the wrong places. And that's where Jesus found you. And that's where he began to work in your life. For others of you, you were proud and arrogant and religious and doing all the right things, believing that those things made you good in the eyes of God and better than everyone else. And God saved you from yourself in a different way. So you have to remember where you were when God found you or else you will deceive yourself into thinking that you received the Holy Spirit because you were pretty hot stuff. And so Paul says, where were you when you received the Holy Spirit? How did you receive it? Grace wrecks us and it transforms us and it leaves us never the same. So don't ever forget where you were when God found you. Because if you forget where you were when God found you, you'll begin to believe that you achieved it on your own. Your testimony is not about how great you were or how ridiculous your sin was. Your testimony is about the power of God in Jesus Christ to save and transform you. Second question he asks is, how are you going to move towards spiritual maturity? How will you move towards growth? He says, have you begun by the spirit and you're now being perfected by the flesh? Did this thing start with Jesus saving you, but now you're going to achieve human goodness on your own? Like, did you start as a kindergartner with Jesus? And now that you're in college, you've kind of graduated beyond that. And now you're achieving it on your own. See, Paul is trying to remind these Galatian believers that salvation has three parts. The first part of salvation is justification. It's who we are now in Christ. It's that we've now been set and made right in Christ. It's this idea that we were guilty because of our sin, and yet because of Christ, we're now forgiven. That he's taken the penalty for our sins. It's who we are now. We are not who we once were. Salvation is also a process that we call sanctification. And it's this idea of, of being transformed or formed into the image of God. When you meet Jesus, you don't instantly become like Jesus in all of your actions and words. Some of you who have been following Jesus for 20 years, your spouse or your kids would, you know, go, yeah, that's, that's true. They still got a long way to go. And sanctification is the lifelong process of being transformed in every area of our life to be like Jesus. And Paul's saying, is that a work that you're doing on your own? Is this humanism? Is this you making yourself a better person? And then finally, the final piece of, of salvation is what we call glorification. It's what we will one day be when we are in the presence of God. When that process that he started in forgiving us in justification is fully completed, that we will be Scott like Christ, Mark like Christ, Sarah like Christ in every way. And some of us feel like that is an eternity away. But that's the work that God does. 
And he's saying, is that something you do yourself? My, my son is uh, five years old. And a few weeks ago, we were driving home and he was telling me that he'd been playing with some older kids and that this eight-year-old called him a little kid. It's like, I'm not a little kid, dad. I'm a big kid. And I said, what, Wesley, how old are you? He said, I'm five, dad. I said, how old are your brother and sister, Max and Shay? Well, they're two. Are they little? Yeah, they're little, dad. I said, Wesley, you were just little a couple years ago. And there's always going to be somebody bigger than you. And there's always going to be somebody littler than you. And sometimes we get the idea like that eight-year-old did that we're way above everybody else. And sometimes in church we go, yeah, this Jesus plus nothing stuff, this gospel stuff. Yeah, that's, that's what I really needed a long time ago. I don't need it anymore though. I want to graduate on to big kid stuff. I want to really grow in my faith. I want to go deep. I'm sorry, there is nothing deeper than Jesus plus nothing. And if you've moved beyond it and think that's how you're going to get mature, then you've lost it and you've moved over into achieving and you've left Jesus behind. The third question that Paul asked, he said, did you suffer in vain because these people had suffered for their faith? Most of us don't know persecution. We may know it by the end of our lifetime if some things keep moving forward in our world like they do. But these Galatians had suffered persecution because they believed in Jesus. He said, if you abandon Jesus and you move over to your own achievement, then everything you suffered for is going to be in vain. They had to watch friends be, be burned at the stake. They had watched friends be beaten and jailed. People that they sat next to to take communion. People who they'd baptized. He said, if you abandon Jesus... And you move to achievement. All of that was for nothing. And then finally he says, on what basis did God perform the miracles that you've seen? Did he do it because you were a good person? Did he do it because you were righteous? You'd done a good job in following the law? Or did he do it because he's God? And in response to your faith. He says, hey, this new identity you have, you've received it through faith. He continues in verse 6. He says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then... Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The third lesson about our identity we learned today is that Abraham models the way we enter God's family. Abraham models the way that we enter God's family. Abraham is a significant figure even today. The three great religions of our world, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all trace their source back to Abraham. Abraham is a significant figure, and he's a, an incredible example. He, he followed God, even though God told him he didn't know where he was going. Well, God knew, but he didn't tell Abraham. I mean, imagine today if you went home and told your family, hey, pack up the car, we're moving. Well, where are we going? I don't know. We're just going to get on the 89 and go north. How would that go in your house? I can give you a hint how it would go in my house. Where, is the, where are we going? Do we have jobs? Do we have a home? Are we selling this home? I mean, I would get 47 questions. And yet they followed. Abraham waited decades to become a dad. There's some people who've, who've battled infertility. 
he battled it for 80 years. And then he had a son. And before that son could be old enough to get married, he said, okay, go take him and kill him. And Abraham trusted God. He delivered and the son was not sacrificed, but Abraham was willing to follow God down incredible paths. And he reminds us that it's faith that is credited as righteousness. In the Old Testament, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, when God speaks about Abraham, it says, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't that Abraham was a perfect guy. He was far from it. He was a knucklehead. He went to Egypt one time and apparently his wife, Sarah, was very attractive. And the king noticed his wife. And Abraham was such a wuss. That's a biblical term. He was a wuss. And so he told the king that it was his sister. So the Bible says that they were about to do what two people do who are attracted to one another when he realized this is not Abraham's sister. This is Abraham's wife. And he calls him in and goes, dude, what were you thinking? You gave me your wife as your sister. I mean, so Abraham is not a perfect dude. He does knuckleheaded things like you and me. Even everybody who's listed in Hebrews 11 with Abraham and held up as the giants of our faith, they're all knuckleheads too. And it's this reminder that that our righteousness is not in our good deeds. It's in our faith in Christ that's credited to us as righteousness. And so God invites Abraham into his family and into his blessing. And we enter the exact same way. We're included in God's promise to Abraham when he said that all of your descendants will be blessed and they will number the sands on the seashore. Abraham entered that family by faith and we enter that family by faith. And all the things that we do are not a way of earning our righteousness. No, they're an expression of the righteousness we've gained from Christ. Next week, we're going to talk about adoption and It's going to be some some fun stuff, but I want to remind you that none of you were born into the family of God. None of you were born into the family of God. You were all adopted in by faith. You may have been born into a Christian family, but that isn't being born into the family of God. We were all adopted through Jesus. We all enter God's family through faith. Not because of our parents, not because of our good deeds, not because of how many Sundays we attended church before we could count, but through Jesus. We were all adopted in through faith. And the final lesson I want to share with you today is that we tend to confuse our identity source. We tend to confuse our identity's source. Now, there's no specific verse for this, but this is a really important lesson at this point in our series for you to understand because some of you are starting to get the impression that Paul has a repeating problem, that he just keeps covering the same things again and again and again, and you need to understand how Paul writes. Some of you who are newer to the Bible, Paul wrote a lot of the Bible, He wrote more of the Bible than any single person. About half of the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, is all written by Paul. 
And here's how Paul writes in nearly all of his books, specifically books like Romans and 1 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians. This is how he writes. He begins all of his books with what I call the indicative. Now, an indicative statement is Scott is a man. It's a true statement. An indicative statement is a statement of truth. It's a statement of fact. It is Sunday is an indicative statement. It is June 25th is an indicative statement. And so Paul begins all of his books with the indicative, with the truth of who we were before Jesus and who we are now because of Jesus. And at certain points you go, okay, Paul, I get it. But he's making sure that we understand who we are now in Christ. And we're now three chapters in. In Romans, he does it for seven chapters. Some people believe he does it for 11 chapters. He's very concerned that we understand who we are in Christ. And when and only when he's finished describing who we are in Christ, does he move to what's called the imperative. An imperative statement is, Scott, be more manly, grow a beard. It's not going to happen, just, just to let you know, that's not one of the gifts that God's given me is hair growth. Um, but an imperative statement is a command. Do this. Take out the trash, do your homework, complete your work, stay late, go pick up that at the store. Those are all imperative commands. And most of us, when it comes to the Bible, we struggle with the imperatives. Because a lot of them seem very hard or very challenging. And one of the reasons we struggle with them is that we confuse our identity and we confuse the order. In all of Paul's books, he begins with the indicative and only then does he move to the imperative. He begins with who we are, and then he goes to what we are to do. You say, Scott, why is that so important? Because the truth that Paul is trying to remind us of is that what we do as followers of Christ flows out of who we are in Christ. What we do as followers of Christ flows out of who we are in Christ. And if you get who you are messed up, you'll struggle with what you do. See, if you think who you are in Christ is somebody who has earned their salvation, then everything you do is going to be an effort to preserve or achieve more of that salvation. You're going to try to work harder to earn God's love if you feel like you were saved because you earned God's love. If you mess up the source, everything that flows out of it is corrupt. And so what Paul is reminding us is that who we are informs what we do. Who we are informs what we do. And that's why when you read the Bible and you read crazy things like we're called to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, forgive those who betrayed us, not be driven by our sexual urges, but give them to God. Not get drunk, not gossip, not slander. Be a peacemaker, not a warmonger. Welcome in the stranger, the orphan, the alien. We're called to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, care for the sick. That's a lot. And I'm just getting started. And those things could seem crazy and difficult and judgy by God to tell us to do. But if we get right who we are, that informs what we do. And when we realize that Christ has transformed us 
and he is transforming us, then these things that we're called to do make sense because we're now living a new life. So many people read the Bible and they read the what we do's disconnected from who we are and they think Christians are judgy and condemning and all about behavior when in actuality those things only make sense if you get right the gospel and who you are. And if you just read these disconnected from who you are, I can promise you You'll either get arrogant and believe that you're pretty awesome because you're keeping most of the laws or you'll get crushed and you'll give up because you feel like you can't keep any of them. That's why in this series again and again, we're coming back to the fact that our identity, who we are is not achieved. It's received. And when you receive that identity, Christ transforms you and out of that transformation, What we do flows. And this is a huge, huge challenge for me personally. Because I'm an achiever. And I want to spend all my time getting all the what we do is right. Nailing those, dotting I's, crossing T's. I'm the kind of guy who makes a to-do list to check things off I've already done. Some of you people in the room are kind of like, amen. I see that hand. I see that hand, you know. And that's great for honeydews and for my job, but it's terrible for my relationship with God because it convinces me that my identity in Christ is something I can check off a list, that I can achieve, not something I receive. But when I get that right, what I do flows out of that, and it's a beautiful thing. And when you get that right, it's a beautiful thing. And I think many of us have confused our identity source. We think God loves us because of what we achieved. We think we have standing before God because of what we have achieved. And that's just wrong. So I have some next steps for you this morning that I want you to think about this week as you go. And the first one is this. I want you to reflect on how you define your own sense of worth and value. Think about that blank. My name is blank and I'm what? How do you define your worth and value? What is your identity based on? Is it based on your achievements, your job, your relationships, your skills? I love pastoring a multi-generational church. People in this church are in generation Z, millennials, Xers, boomers, builders. And let's be honest, it would be easier if it was just one of those generations. But part of being a part of a church that has people who are different in a different age and life stage as me is I learn from you. I've watched some of you retire and struggle with your identity because you defined yourself by your job. And when you're not going to work anymore, who are you? I've watched some of you get cancer and it's affected your skills and your talents. Who are you when you can't do that anymore? I've watched some of you be estranged from someone that you used to define yourself by. Well, when you're no longer that person's parent or that person's spouse or that person's friend, who are you anymore? 
I want to challenge you to reflect on your own sense of worth and value and ask yourself, have I put it in something that could be lost? A lot of us are more insecure than we realize. Second, I want you to review your current pursuit of spiritual maturity. Reflect, did you change course? Did you start with Jesus and now you've moved over to achievement? Did you start with grace and now you've moved over to works? Are you trying to make yourself more like Jesus in your own power and strength? And then third, I want to challenge you to align who you are with what you do. Align who you are with what you do. Some of us are hung up on our identity because we're defining ourselves by what we do. And others of us are resisting some of the things that we're going to get to in Galatians in a few weeks that are the doing things in the Bible because we resist this idea that we now have a new identity and that identity has consequences. And this morning, if you don't remember anything else I said, I want you to remember that your identity is not achieved. It's received. And it's the greatest gift you've ever been given. And it's a gift worth celebrating today. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the gift that you've given us in Jesus Christ and his grace and the opportunity to be transformed by that. Jesus, we live in a world where we are defining ourselves by so many things that can be taken away in an instant. So many of us are insecure and we don't even realize it. We don't realize that we're one phone call or one fight or one bad quarter away from losing everything that we have put our identity in. And you offer us an identity that we could never achieve in any of our power or effort. You offer us an identity that we can only receive as a gift from you. So I pray for my friends this morning that you may open their eyes and soften their hearts. You gave us a drive and a passion that we might be instruments of you in this world and we thank you for that drive. But what you did for us, we could have never achieved on our own. And what you want to do in us, we cannot achieve on our own. So we pray that we would open ourselves up with a posture of receiving to receive the gift you want to give us. And there may be some people in this room right now who've never accepted that gift. This morning, Jesus, I pray that they might invite you to give to them what they've been trying to achieve on their own. That they declare an end to their achieving and make a new beginning of receiving. That they would invite you to do for themselves what they can't do. To forgive them, to heal them, to transform them. We thank you for this message and this good news. And we pray that you would work in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, 
visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.